Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Hey, I'm Natalie Moore, and you're listening to Reset. I'm taking over the host chair for the rest of the week. If you grew up in the 1980s and 90s Chicago like me, you know that the James R. Thompson Center is an institution downtown. The Goliath of a building is near and dear to many Chicagoans' hearts. And you probably remember the uproar on social media to save the Thompson Center from demolition. Well, Thompson Center is back in the news, this time because it has a new tenant, Google. The announcement has some people in Chicago excited because it means Google will be adding 5,000 jobs to the loop. But it also raises questions about the future of the building itself. The glassy state office is a public space, so what happens when a tech giant moves in? Google's planning on renovating the building, but what exactly does that mean? Joining us to discuss is Jonathan Solomon, partner in the Chicago firm Preservation Futures. Jonathan is also an associate professor at the School of the Art Institute. Also with us is Danny Ecker, commercial real estate reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. Was this deal a long time coming or does it come as a surprise, Danny? A uh, big surprise. This happened actually in a matter of uh, a few months, three or four months. Many people recall that uh, there was a developer named Mike Reschke who announced with the state back in December that uh, he was going to be buying the Thompson Center from the state and it was going to be uh, dramatically redeveloping it, basically tearing it down to its steel frame and rebuilding it with a new curtain wall and all kinds of new modern features. Then he would sell back a portion of it to the state and try to fill the rest himself. Um, that was what everyone was expecting um, as we got toward a, an actual closing of that deal. But along the way, quietly, there was a big, big change, which is that Google got involved and said they wanted to be in. So it turned into a, a reworked deal that uh, basically involves uh, the same developer buying the Thompson Center as he did yesterday, but building it out for Google and ultimately later selling it to Google, uh, likely uh, in a few years. Jonathan, remind us what the status of the Thompson Center was before this and who designed it. Uh, the Thompson Center was designed uh, by Chicago architect Helmut Jahn who tragically passed away uh, last year in a bicycle accident. It was uh, one of his earlier works designed, as you said, as a, as a state office building, a public building uh, for the state of Illinois in Chicago, opened in 1985. You know, this is really uh, uh, the, the Google purchase. The news of the Google purchase is uh, more good news as, as far as preservationists are concerned. Uh, there was a moment not, not so long ago when it seemed likely uh, that the stage would sell the building to a developer who would tear it down. Uh, we saw that as not only a uh, environmental disaster. It would have created unnecessary waste. It would have disrupted uh, public transit service, CTA service for many Chicagoans, uh, but also a great loss for the city of a 
really spectacular and, and unique building and, and public interior. Uh, the, the sale to Google, I think, really, really underscores that a lot of the rhetoric coming out of the state uh, in the past years about the Thompson Center being a some kind of outmoded, um, unsalvageable behemoth that no one, you know, no, <laughs> no one but its architect could ever love um, was really was really, you know, hyperbole. This is a valuable building. It's valuable uh, culturally. It's valuable historically. And it's economically valuable to, to Google. Jonathan, back in the day, my friends and I used to take the L <laughs> to the building and ride up and down the elevator because we thought it was so cool inside. Um, and you're an advocate of getting the Thompson Center landmark status. What does that mean? Uh, yeah, that's a, a wonderful story. I um, I also encountered the building in my in my youth. My mother, uh, who was a state employee, worked there in, in 1985. Was, was one of the first uh, uh, state state employees to to, to move in. Um, and I, I remember riding those elevators up and down as well back back when you could get through the when there was no security checkpoint in the lobby. Mm-hmm. Um, we've uh, uh, we wrote a uh, a nomination for the the Thompson Center to the National Register of Historic Places. That that nomination was begun when it was still a state building, uh, and has gone through a rigorous process uh, here in the state of Illinois, and is now in the hands of the National Park Service, who will ultimately make a determination as to whether to list it on that register. It's important to note that, that the National Register is a, uh, listing on the National Register is honorary. It doesn't provide any legal protections against alteration or demolition. So Prime Group, uh, Google, any other future owner, uh, should it be listed on the National Register of Historic Places, could still alter the Thompson Center. Uh, they could ultimately, if they chose to, still tear it down. Uh, but the listing does provide significant tax incentives, financial incentives for work on the building that maintains its historic character, uh, maintains the color scheme, maintains the, the design intentions, the original design intentions, rehabilitates the building, etc. cetera. Uh, that, those savings can be up to 20% of, of the cost of that work uh, seen in, in tax rebates. So there are significant financial incentives that come with listing on the on the national register and there's a there's a cultural incentive as well i um my offices are are uh, in the monadnock building in chicago a, a building from the 1890s uh that people flock to today they want to do business here uh they want to visit because it feels like 1890s chicago right it's it's unique in that in that regard danny the thompson center feels, sorry, it feels like 1980s Chicago. So there's there's a value to that. Yeah, that, that is a juxtaposition that's, that's there, just blocks from each other. Uh, Danny, give us the backstory here. Google has been growing its presence in Chicago. When did that start? Uh, about two about two decades ago, uh, Google started um, initially with just a couple employees in River North and has steadily grown its its footprint, kind of an early adopter, believing that Chicago would, you know, grow and then continue to be a uh, a destination for for Midwest engineering talent, um, in which it has, and and um, you know, so it grew its office in River North, and then certainly Google famously um, re- basically catalyzed the transformation of the Fulton Market District about a decade ago, uh, almost a decade ago, when they moved their Midwest headquarters from River North over to uh, the former Fulton Market Cold Storage Building, which was redeveloped, 
And that kind of set off really a, a big transformation of, of that uh, meatpacking district into what's now a hub of big corporate players and, you know, upscale restaurants and hotels. Um, and Google has uh, about, about 2,000 employees now in Chicago. Um, but with this move, they haven't said exactly how many employees they plan to add, but sources that we have talked to at Cranes have said they're, they're planning in the next four or five years to add another 5,000 employees here. This is uh, a city that Google is investing heavily in, I think, for the reasons that many other big tech companies have, which is the, the depth and the diversity of the talent pool here. Are there enough tech workers in Chicago for those 5,000 jobs, or do you think that they'll be importing people from San Francisco and elsewhere? Uh, I would say that most of the jobs will be, you know, local rather than relocating and, you know, new, um, you know, uh, new talent. I, I think that, you know, one of the advantages that Chicago has had over coastal employees is that uh, it's more affordable. The cost of living is more affordable and uh, the talent is more affordable and easier to retain here. But again, you know, you have to put this against the backdrop of the new way of work, you know, hybrid work of people working remotely. So, how many people are technically based in Chicago and live in Chicago uh, year-round versus how many people will be here, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, will will be you know living somewhere else and, and you know dropping into Chicago here and there. But but you know obviously it's a big commitment to physical office space at the Thompson Center. I mean this is a 1.2 million square foot building that that you don't see too many uh, companies making massive new commitments to office space these days. But you do see big tech companies investing, buying uh, office properties. Google's done this in New York. Other big tech companies have purchased office space. They have a lot of capital to deploy. And um, in this case, Google, I think they're looking to probably do in, in the loop uh, what they did in Fulton Market uh, a decade ago, which is that, you know, the loop is struggling with record high office vacancy and big retail departures and a lot of distress among hotels. You know, this is a, an area trying to rediscover its vibrancy, and Google could be the catalyst that we look back on years from now and say that's when things really changed in the Loop's comeback from the pandemic. Danny, I don't know if you saw last week, there was a ridiculous piece. I only saw screenshots of the coastal writer, Maddie Iglesias, who said that the Midwest and Chicago is in trouble because we can't retain talent like the coast can. And that big companies like Boeing, Caterpillar, and Citadel are leaving. But Google's doubling down here. I don't know if you saw that piece. It was quite the thing on Twitter last week. But with Google doubling down here, what do you think this means for the city? Well, there's a couple narratives around Chicago. You know, there's, there is um, a lot of people who will you know, they'll say, oh, Chicago, and they think of, you know, headlines about crime um, and you know, rising taxes. And of course, you see with those recent streak of Citadel and Boeing and Caterpillar, people thinking, oh, well, companies are, are leaving Chicago. Well, that's true. All of that is, is there's truth to a lot of that. But that doesn't really acknowledge a lot of companies that are moving to Chicago or setting up shop, especially in downtown Chicago, for access to the talent. Companies like Milwaukee Tool, which opened an engineering office uh, recently at the old post office, uh, Deere, John Deere, which uh, moved to the Fulton Market in search of engineering talent. It's it's a lot of uh, tech talent here from you know Big Ten schools that want to live in Chicago that uh, is is bringing companies here. Um, so there there are these different narratives, this push and pull of whether Chicago is 
you know, losing luster or, or really retaining and gaining it. Um, and this is obviously a, a, a big point, uh, a lot of points on the board for, you know, in favor of Chicago being a place where big tech companies want to be. Jonathan, the Thompson Center has long been a public space. Do you think Google moving in will change that? Oh, uh, that's a good question. And I think it's a, a key one to focus on uh, at this moment. The, the the Thompson Center has been a symbol of rebirth in the loop before. When it opened in 1985, it was presented as a uh, a vision of the future. It opened with a, a banner hanging in the atrium saying, building for the year 2000. Uh, and it was supposed to hail, and it did hail ultimately, or it symbolically uh, uh, stood for a, a, a rebirth of vitality in the loop. Uh, so it's fitting that, that it's doing that again through uh, this, this purchase by Google and, and, and through its repositioning. Uh, one of the reasons it did that, though, was, was because it was a space for all of, of Chicago. It was a space where anyone could go and get an affordable lunch, uh, get access to free Wi-Fi, uh, get warm. Uh, in the winter or, or, you know, as you did, uh, uh, kill time between changing trains, right? Or just explore. And Chicagoans have come to expect that out of it. They've come to think of it as a space that is theirs, like the cultural center, uh, like other grand interiors in this city. So I think that, it, that, that Google, if it wants to maintain and expand on the building's role in in the loop, it, it's really going to be incumbent on Google to assure that there is public access to that space. Uh, obviously, I, I, you know, my preference, the preference of other preservationists, I think, would have been to maintain this as a public building. Uh, but since that doesn't seem to be possible uh, today, uh, a, a company like Google, a company that has uh, the capital to invest in the building uh, and that, that, that has the potential to look at it as something other than wasted space, but to look at it really as a resource for engaging with the city, uh, we, we hope that there'll be a, a good outcome there. We hope that there'll be continued public access to that space. That's Jonathan Solomon from Preservation Futures and Crane's reporter, Danny Ecker. Thank you both. That's all for today's episode of Reset. Be sure to subscribe for more conversations like this one. And we love getting feedback from you. So let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a review and rating. I'm Natalie Moore. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you back here tomorrow for our weekly news recap. See you then. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.